The following podcast is a presentation of Project Entertainment Network. Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Here's your host, Jason A. Meiske. Beware the brains in the jars. <laughs> Welcome to episode 137 of the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. And what in the world am I talking about? Brains in jars? Well, if you want to learn more about that, you're going to have to listen to this wonderful interview with this week's special guest all the way from South Africa, Elaine Dodge. Not only does Elaine have warnings for us about brains in jars, but we also discuss plotting versus pantsing, avoiding the mushy middle, pantsing those first few chapters, and writing in places that you've never been. That and so many more. I mean, that's just the tip of the iceberg of everything that we discuss. It's so great. Uh, plus, we dive into a chapter from her book, Harcourt's Mountain, which is a very steamy chapter that you don't want to miss out on. So yes, all that and much more coming up in just about, oh, maybe five more minutes or so, something like that. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Hey, uh, before that, I want to make sure and thank our sponsors and podcast friends alike. Uh, you know what? Actually, actually, I wanted to tell you about a podcast I've recently become aware of, uh, was communicating with one of the hosts, and it's called What the Faith. Yeah, it's a pretty neat show. Um, as an author myself, we're always looking for information about other subjects. You know, you got to deep dive into it. You got to learn things about it. Well, in What the Faith, this has been fascinating because every week they are diving into a religion. And instead of just, you know, reading stuff about it or, you know, doing their own investigations, they're actually having in-depth, open conversations with somebody of this faith. You know, they've spoken to Mormons. They've spoken to somebody from the Satanic Temple. Um, even some discussions about race and faith, uh, which has been, I thought, you know, was really interesting. So, uh, yeah, yeah, and it's, uh, now they're not a part of uh, any of my podcast networks, but like I said, you know, I was in communication with one of the hosts, and we were having a nice little chat, and uh, I promised them I'd check out the show and give them a shout out if I liked it, and yeah, it, you know, it's a really nice show, and they do a good job of just keeping it um, open-minded and just giving the facts, you know, just giving the opinions of here's somebody of this faith and uh, their experiences with it. So it's really neat. I invite you to go ahead and check that out. And once again, that's called What the Faith. It's a, it's a really neat show. Now, as for my podcast friends that are part of the networks, let's start off with Pop Goes the Culture Network. That is a collection of half a dozen shows or so over at popgoestheculture.com with shows like... The Amazing Nerd Show, Fanatics and the Fan, the and the Way Awesome Show, not to mention the flagship show, Pop Goes the Culture Podcast, and one of my favorites has just returned, which is The Backlot by Alamo Drafthouse. Uh, that's really exciting, because they were off the air for quite a long time, and then, of course, uh, oh, well, for a few, several months, and then COVID hit, so, the, of course, the theater shut down, but it's nice to hear them back on the air again and discussing movies and, and things that are coming up. So check out all of those and more by clicking the link in the show notes for Pop Goes the Culture Network. And uh, yeah, check out those shows. And then I want to also thank my other podcast network, Project Entertainment Network, 
with 35 different shows over at the network. Amazing shows like Your New Opinion, Wild Speculation, The Mondo Method Podcast, Spilling Ink, Monster Attack, Matters of Faith, Hobbies Include Writing, Hard at Work, Hash Time with Duncan, which is a cool one because, you know, football season's about to start, thank goodness, and so much more. Hey, check out this advertisement for one of those amazing shows, and uh, don't forget to click that link in the show notes. Yo, what's going on, everybody? My name is Duncan, and I'm the host of the podcast, Hash Time with Duncan. On this show, I tackle all the biggest sports stories between the hashes and beyond. If it's a big story, I'm going to talk about it and give you my opinion on it. Subscribe to my show wherever you get your podcast. All you have to do, search Hash Time with Duncan. And you can follow the show on Twitter at Hash Time with D. Peace. Yes, indeed. Another incredible show from the Project Entertainment Network. As I've always said before, any one of those shows are going to be amazing. You're going to love it. And uh, I, I've told you before, I check out uh, every show that's on the network at least once and usually end up becoming a subscriber. So check them out for yourself and see what you think. I also want to thank my sponsors, starting with Ustorel out of Warrensburg, Missouri. They are the premier self-storage facility in the Warrensburg area with two locations, fully fenced in, gated, and with more than 60 cameras recording 24 hours a day. They offer both climate control and non-climate control and have everything to fit your self-storage needs. Check them out online at ustorall.net. That is spelled the letter U-S-T-O-R-A-L-L dot net. And lastly, I want to thank my favorite writing software, Scrivener. They are a wonderful sponsor of the show, have been with us for over a year now, and I just love not only having them as a sponsor, but as I said, they are my favorite writing software. I use their their software every day for all of my writing. And, you know, and I got to say, I mean, it's, it's really cool being able to have, you know, well, like right now, I, I mean, I'm writing <laughs> in three different stories at the same time. And I don't know why I'm doing this, but I am. Uh, now, technically, I'm editing one and then writing in two others. It just depends on what the mood is or when inspiration strikes. But I know that with Scrivener, all I got to do is click on the title of that book and uh, open it up. And there I have all my research. The chapters are split up. If I need to move something around, I can. It's all available right there within Scrivener. Hey, check out this commercial so you can learn more about it. And don't forget to pay attention for that coupon code so you can save 20% on the regular desktop version. Jason here. Hey, I wanted to take a moment and tell you about my favorite writing tool, Scrivener. Now, I know you've heard about Scrivener because their writing software has been embraced by hundreds of thousands of other writers like you and I, from the novice to best-selling novelists. The reason we all use it is because of Scrivener's core concept to bring all the writing tools you use together in a single application. And with tools like automatic backup, character maps, project goals, and let's not forget that amazing corkboard, you can see why I use Scrivener every day. As a bonus for Sample Chapter Podcast listeners, use code CHAPTER for 20% off your desktop version. Scrivener Writing Software, built by writers for writers. 
All right. Thank you once again to my sponsors and podcast friends alike. Don't forget to follow them on social media. They all have their own social media pages and they like to post things regularly. You know, lots of fun stuff on there. Don't forget to follow this show, the Sample Chapter Podcast, also on Facebook, Twitter, and now Instagram. Uh, if you want to reach out to me via email, you can do so at samplechapterpodcast at gmail.com or leave me a voicemail at 660-851-1146. All right, without further ado, let's get on over to our interview with South African author Elaine Dodge. Hello, Sample Chapter listeners. Welcome back to another very exciting episode. This week, we are going all the way down to South Africa to speak with Elaine Dodge. Elaine considers storytelling a legitimate way to have multiple personalities and many voices as she enjoys writing in multiple genres, such as historical romance, fantasy, no dragons yet, weird fiction, redemptive horror, and humor far too much to settle with just one. Elaine, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. I'm so happy to have you here. And you are my my very first author from South Africa, or from Africa even, the entire continent. Oh, wow. That's cool. <laughs> so uh, first, let's find out how are you? Are you staying healthy amidst the pandemic? I am. Um, I'm very healthy. I haven't been outside since lock probably for about two weeks before lockdown happened in South Africa. So I've probably been on my property um, for about 17 weeks. Oh my goodness. Is that right? I think we went down in March. So how many weeks is that? April, May, June, July, August. So that's five months. So it's nearly 20 weeks. Yeah. So 20 weeks. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. my goodness. Wow. But it's kind of okay because I'm a I'm an introvert and I've I live alone with just my cat and I work from home, so I and I don't have any transport, so I have to use Uber when I get around and I'm not getting into an Uber while there's the <laughs> plague around. So you know, life kind of just happened, stayed the same, and the plague went on without me, which is cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, and of course, you know, as they say, with the being a writer, we must be just enjoying the staying home all the time, right? Loving it. <laughs> uh, I, I had somebody the other day saying, like, "Well, you're a writer, Jason. Uh, you know, how are you dealing with the with this? I mean, you must enjoy being home so much." I'm like, "Oh no, I'm working more than ever, and <laughs> I'm having to get up early if I can. I've got to get up early to do my writing, and I'm just now okay. adjusting to a." to a schedule that allows me to write a little bit more and getting back into the habit. But Okay. But it sounds like well, it's, really, it's worked out on? well for you though. Yeah, no, it has. And what's really interesting is that um, I write for corporates um, as my day job. And oh. since lockdown, I've got new clients, more work. I've made more money. I'm like, hey, let's just <laughs> keep this plague happening because this is really working for me. So, who knows? Oh, my goodness. So, something, I, I, I mean, I guess uh, for me, the elephant in the room is that you are in South Africa. Now, are you yes. native to South Africa? I was born in Zambia. I'm actually a copper baby. And by that, I mean that I was born on the copper belt in Zambia. And then 
when I was about 10, nine or 10, my family moved to Zimbabwe. At the time, it was still called Rhodesia, um, but I grew up in Zimbabwe. And then I moved to South Africa about 16, 17 years ago. Wow. Yeah. That's just such a, I don't know, it just seems like that's just such a different life. It's hard for me to uh, imagine what that must be like um, in that kind of environment. I'm used to, you know, forests and giant lakes and, and almost country living here in America. So I can't imagine, uh, I don't know, it's hard for me to picture what that must be like there. Zambia and Zimbabwe were still, when we lived there, they were still very, that sounds awful, but it was still very colonial in feel. And so your average white family would live in a three-bedroomed house on an acre of land. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was very suburban living. Even though we had, you know, you, you go into town, you go into the city, and the city would have the normal city stuff in it. Um, not massive skyscrapers, but there would be, you know, tall buildings and double lane roads and things like that. But your average white person would live in a very suburban um, environment. Obviously, that's changed a bit, quite a bit now because now the suburbs are mixed, which is how they should be. Mm-hmm. Um, so South Africa is very much the same, um, but in terms of the suburbs, it's probably very similar, except for the fact that in, in Africa, the suburbs have, you know, 10-foot walls around them with electric fencing on the top and oh. electric gates and big dogs. Oh, my it's very oh, weird when I look at when I look at pictures of suburbs in the states, and I go, "But you've got no fences. You don't even have like a hedge around your garden." <laughs> that it actually feels quite freaky to me. <laughs> Maybe it's just my introvertedness. I like I would not want people to have access to my garden the way it looks on, you know, photographs oh, yeah. of suburban. I'm like, get off my lawn. <laughs> I, you know, and I can understand that. That's my, my wife and I are very much that way. We, we've always, my wife has always lived in the country. Uh, so, you know, the nearest neighbor's a mile or more away. And okay. I, I always longed for the country life. And so now we, we're, we live just outside of our town in a little, little area with, with other homes around us. But most of us out here have fences, uh, privacy okay. fences. Because we're out in the country, and although we all get along really well here, great neighborhood, uh, everybody likes their privacy, and okay. everybody likes to sit around the, the fire pit or whatever and yeah. enjoy an evening uh, without bothering the neighbor or uh, without okay. somebody looking over the fence at you or something like that. Or <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <So>. <clears throat> yeah. So, plus, it helps keep uh, you know the neighbors' big dogs on their side as opposed to coming over <laughs> here with my little dog. <laughs> And the bears. And the bears, yeah. Help keep the bears away. <laughs> That's Although right. I quite like bears. So, you know, I mean, we are, when, in Africa, you've got to drive out of town to get wildlife. You'll get little bits of small wildlife. I mean, like, I live on a mountain. Well, we call it a mountain. It's actually just a, a hill. But on the mountain the other day, we saw um, a little civet cat came and was exploring around. So that was really cool. But I've lived here, you know, seven years, and that was the first bit of wildlife I've seen, apart from owls and bats and things like that. Um, So we've got a lot of um, game parks, um, private and national, 
but you don't get the big game in towns. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, we've been fortunate. We haven't had a bear in the neighborhood yet, um, although I do know somebody in the neighborhood who thought they saw one recently. Okay. Uh, unconfirmed, but we'll see. Yeah. You know, we used to live in Colorado, and that was a very frequent thing. We'd take the trash out and, oh, there's a bear. Let me just take the trash back to the house real fast. So, so, all right. So now with you being in South Africa, you have a series called Harcourts Mountain, the Harcourts of Canada. Now, how does this happen? Although I've grown up in Africa, I'm very much a tree person. So I love forests and I love the whole like Northwest Pacific type of forest. Although I've never oh. been to one, the whole, you know, when you see pictures and video of it, I'm like, oh, this is my soul place. <laughs> so, but then I do, yeah, I enjoy going out into the bush in Africa and seeing elephants and lions and hippos just as much. But I love the whole kind of misty forest, very tall trees. Um, yeah, just that whole kind of real mountain stuff. Like we don't, we've got um, what we call the Drakensberg here, which translates to be the Dragon Mountain, which is really cool. Um, but it doesn't have the same, it doesn't have forest like the Northwest Pacific. It's a very particular type of um, vegetation here. Um, so I wanted to write something that would be really um, escapist for me to write. Mm-hmm. So I could spend a lot of time doing research and looking at photographs of the forest and you know, researching bears and researching, you know, all that kind of stuff, all yeah. the eagles, although I don't think you get old eagles in Canada. Um, and also I didn't want to set it in the States because every frontier Western sort of book is always set in dry, dusty, hot, Places and I'm not a person who likes the heat at all. My favorite is winter. Mm, um, okay. So the thought of having to slog through dry, dusty Texas towns like everybody else did was just like not going to happen. So I went for Canada. I still wanted to do a frontier story. So I went for Canada where I could basically do it in a forest. Yeah, I can see that. And it's a great, um, like you said, it's a great escapism. And at the same time, you're writing something that interests you. Yeah. Which as an author, that is something that I I have come to learn how important that is. Because if it's something you want to read and you're putting that love into it, that that enjoyment into it, it's going to come across to the reader. So exactly. That's yeah. So that's uh, very well done. Thank you. And also, I didn't want my hero to be a cowboy. It's like, really? There are 50, like, million books about cowboys. More books about cowboys have been written than ever cowboys existed. So I I did not want that. Um, And also, I worked on a a square rigger for a very short period of time. And I just fell in love with that kind of ship and being on the ocean. So I made my hero an ex- Navy captain and he comes from a shipping family and so some of the book is set on one of those square riggers 
So that was enjoyable as well. Oh, wow. And I, I read a lot of books, a lot of books that are set in uh, the time of Nelson's Navy. So I've got a fair amount of knowledge about those kind of ships and how they run and what, and also having been on one, I know what the waves sound like and the wind sounds like and the rigging and stuff like that. So I wanted to put that in the book as well. So that it made sense for my hero to not be a cowboy, mm-hmm. um, but to be an ex Navy captain, but he was going to be living in the forest in Canada. So he needed to, and it was a frontier book. So he needed to have some kind of, land-based profession so he is an apple farmer oh interesting yeah okay so you've got this broad adventure with lots of sensory details and a a land foreign but beloved by you by the author yes it's really cool yeah i've never been there Well, I mean, just going by the cover itself, it reminds me of, I lived in Alaska for a few years and okay. I, it's like, I can almost uh, picture some of the, some of those ranges right there. Oh, cool. Excellent. So now was this something that you, did you plot this out or have you pantsed this or, or and are you planning the series or is it just as it comes to you? It sounds like you, you did a lot of plotting. I did a lot of plotting. So I plot all my novels but my short stories, I pants because um, I like the adrenaline rush of that because I'm part of a group here in, well, it's based in South Africa, but it's actually a worldwide group called um, 12 Short Stories in 12 Months. The website is um, deadlineforwriters.com. And the lady that runs it gives us the prompt and the word count and the deadline that we have to post on. You're not allowed to post on any other day except that deadline. And you have to meet the word count exactly. And I have been, I think in the four years that I've been part of this group, I've only ever written a short story in advance twice. Otherwise, I write it on the day of deadline. And I think our longest word count is 2,000. 2,500 words. And so that's a lot of words to get through on the day you have to post it. But I just, yeah. But usually they're about 1,000, you know, 800, 1,000, 1,200, that kind of thing. We we do have very short ones. One is uh, 300 words and one is 500 words. Um, But I really enjoy the adrenaline rush of having to sit down and write that story and get it in a decent enough shape to get it up on um, the website on the same day. So short stories I pants, but novels I plot to the nth degree. I did try to pants one novel that I'm working on at the moment. I started it seven years ago. And I'm never going to pants another novel as long as I live. <laughs> so- I've written the book now for, I think I'm in the fourth rewrite of this book. And it's oh. always been the mushy middle that's got me every time. And I think I've got a way around it now, but no, I don't <laughs> enjoy fancy novels. Life's too short for that. I mean, I keep consoling myself with the, fact, the thought that J.R.L. Tolkien took 12 years to write Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. but he invented a whole language. <laughs> yeah. 12, I'm like, no, that's great, but no. 
<laughs> my my problem when I completely pants a, a story yeah. with, with no idea where it's going to go or anything is I will um, I'll have ideas pop up in my head while I'm writing and I'll jump to that. Okay. And then I come back later and I realize, oh, I've skipped maybe one or two chapters. Uh, <laughs> what's happened? Wait a minute. How did they get here? Yeah. <laughs> so like the celebration, like, wait, put the cork back in the bottle. Hang on. I, yeah. I'm not done there. So, yeah. So I, yeah. I, I've got to have a little more, a little more of a guide. I, I, at the same time, if I completely plot out a book, I have a hard yeah. time getting back into it because I feel like I've already, I've already written it. Okay. So yeah, I'm kind of in that middle where it's, okay. I, I, I like a general idea, but something fluid where I can hear that the character is talking to me and telling me where they'd okay. like it to go. And maybe it will, maybe it won't. Depends on how well we get along. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing that I found that I do um, is that I pants the first chapter. So if I haven't got anything plotted, I haven't got a book I'm working on, or I'm bored with the book I am working on, or I just need a break, you know, whatever it is. Mm. Quite often I'll sit down with an I just a vague idea, or I'll just start writing. I often give myself a prompt. Um, and I'll just write without any thought to book, short story, whatever. And then I discover that I've written a first chapter. And then I'll put it aside and come back to it later and just kind of like fiddle with ideas and think, yeah, okay, I could actually make this a novel. And so then I'll, I'll start plotting the novel from that first chapter. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it keeps kind of like the adrenaline up. You can, you know, pants the first chapter or even the first four. Mm -hmm. And then you go, you have got a good start for a novel. And then you're already in it. So you've already written the first four chapters. You're already in the book. Now you just need to know where you're going. So the plotting is not so much um, coming up with the idea. It's making sure you've got all the points written down that you need to hit. Yeah. So I've got a lot of first chapters. In fact, on my website, I've, I think I've got a whole section entitled first chapters. <laughs> that sounds like me with uh... I have a drawer full of notebooks. Okay. I've written down the, well, here's a story idea. And I don't really have the story. I just have a, I don't know, a scene or okay. a character, a, a situation, I guess. Yeah. And, and it could be part of a dream I had or something, something okay. else. And it's just, it, it's become that, that earworm and I can't get rid of it and I've got to write it down. And okay. I've, yeah, I've got a drawer here full of those notebooks that are like that. And who knows if I'll even get back to them, but they're there. <laughs> so one of these days when I don't know what I'm going to write next or something, I can start going through them and go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What about this one? Yeah. And yeah. It's a good that. idea. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've got a long list of story ideas and story titles in my laptop. Um, that I've And some of them are like series. I've got like five books in the series plotted out and I just have to have time to do it. Mm -hmm. If I didn't have to have a day job to pay the rent, it would oh, be so yes. much more fun. Yes. If only, Oh my goodness. But another <laughs> thing that I do is also to keep myself inspired about those story ideas or even to help me 
think through them is I'll create a cover for the book. Oh, okay. You do the covers. Yeah. Wow. I like that. And yeah. And then, so when I'm at home bored, I can just, if I'm just like flipping through things in my laptop, I'll go look at my covers and I'll go, actually that, I really like that cover. Mm-hmm. I really want to write that book. And I'll go back and I'll look at the notes. And I'll go, yes, that's the good book. I like that idea. And I'll put out some more notes on it and I'll do a bit more research. And so when I come to actually write the book, I've got a lot of stuff already done, but it hasn't all been done at the same time. So I can sit down and go, right, where was I? Chapter four, read those four chapters and then plow on with the next couple of chapters. Um, it sounds like I do everything really bitchy and it kind of is, but when I do sit down to work on the book itself, I make a decision now going to write the book I'm working on at the moment, which is called The Device Hunter. I'll just sit down and I'll work on that one steadily until it's done. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Is there anything you can tell us about that? It's um, a little difficult to pigeonhole it in terms of genre, but it's a story about there's this island in the middle of a waterfall. Um, and it's run by the patient master and the patient master that everyone on the island is obsessed with building devices and a blueprint crosses the patient master's desk and he is like, okay, whoever created this has got to die. So he calls in his chief device hunter. So in the, on the island, you have the growlers who are the police force. And then you have a very small team of only four, five men who are the device hunters. And their job is basically to hunt down the people who create devices that the patient master deems too dangerous. And their job is to either dissuade by usually violent means um, the smith from creating the device or if necessary, kill the, the device smith. And so a blueprint crosses the patent master's desk and he goes, no, this one, death. Make sure this, whoever created this device has to die. And then our device smith goes out to hunt them down. And it's a very involved story. My books are usually not one plot books. There's usually like three or four different plots happening at the same time. And they intersect and bringing you everybody in the other plots all link in or in and out of the main plot of the book. So in this book, the device hunter, whose name is Thomas Mead, um, who's dyslexic, badly dyslexic. So he can't read the blueprints. Mm. But when he discovers who created the blueprint, um, everything in his life changes completely. Wow. And I can't tell you more than that without giving you <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> That's all right. That sounds very exciting. And I think, you know, and I think what, what I really like about this too is that you, you're not trying exactly yet to figure out the genre. And I don't think it's that important at this time. I think you're doing the right thing by okay. pushing forward with the story. Um, at least in my experience, since my first book came out, I kind of knew where it was going to go, but since then, I've got other story ideas. I'm thinking, well, maybe I'll figure this out later, or 
Maybe when yeah. I send it out to beta readers, I'll put that, I'll, I'll have a list of questions and among them I'll say, what do you think genre this is? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good thing. I really struggle to find beta readers, uh, as we say here, beta readers. Um, mm -hmm. I really struggle to find them. I've got one um, who is great. He was one of my, I used to work with him and he was a, a colleague so he became a colleague. For, he was a, um, one of our, my clients um, when I worked at a TV production company. So we did this video for him. Um, and he bought my, my first book, Harcourt's Mountain. He really loved it. And he became like one of my gr staunchest fans, which is great because, I mean, my, the Harcourts of Canada is the first book's in historical romance. And the second book then kind of turns the series into a family saga um, series and so I've got a lot of guys who are really big fans which is great mm -hmm. um, one of them and he has become um, a beta reader for me and oh, so, but he's actually the only one I've got oh okay um, but he's he is a an astrophysicist so he's very good at going okay this is wrong I don't like this this doesn't make any sense whatsoever, um, but I love it. So that's good. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, so all right, with your permission then, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you're interested in being a beta reader for Il Elaine Dodge, reach out to her, click the link in the show notes. I'm going to have that uh, before this is over with and you'll know how to reach out to her. And if you can't, then reach out to me at the show and I'll, I'll make sure to uh, pass it on to Elaine. So <laughs> hopefully we'll find you, find you a few more beta readers. <laughs> That'd be great. Thank you. So what about, uh, oh, and whenever this new book comes out, please let us know so that we can give you a shout out at the show and let people know that uh, that one has come available. I will do that. Thank you very much. So how about your collection of short stories, Lethal? Okay. So Lethal is a collection of stories that most of them were written on this um, short story challenge that I told you about. Mm -hmm. um, so most of them come from that. There are one or two that I've written for myself or for other um, competitions and things like that. Um, and they are, I love doing them because not only are they short and there's, like I've said, this adrenaline rush of getting them done on, in time, but they're also a way for me to try out other genres. So I have no intention of ever sticking to one genre. I would be bored out of my mind if I had <laughs> just write like historical romances. I'm like, oh, please, just <laughs> kiss her already and get on with it. Let's get to the end. Um, so that doesn't interest me. And I have a very large eclectic library of my own, of you know, other people's books. So like I've said, I, I read um, book session, Nelson's Navy. I read a lot of um, cozy mysteries. I read romances, but my romances tend to be, that I read tend to be the classics. Like every, every year, I will reread all of Jane Austen and Jane Eyre and you know, all of that, those kind of books. I'm not a big contemporary um, romance reader. Um, I read fantasy, 
So I want to write what I read. I want to enjoy the different genres. And like I, I read Terry Pratchett. I love Terry Pratchett. Um, <laughs> Neil Gaiman. And what's great is like some of my short stories have been compared to their work, which is excellent. In fact, I've got one series of short stories that I've been writing for this challenge that is like a tribute to Terry Pratchett um, with a bit of Macbeth thrown in. So they are very varied. Um, some of them are murder stories and they kind of worry me a little because nearly every single murder story I've written is a wife killing a husband, which <laughs> might require some counseling. However, I enjoy doing them. So, and they always deserve it. Of course. <laughs> we usually do. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it, in my stories, they're not always for the reasons. Well, they're not for the normal reasons. So, yeah. And I have a whole series of mad scientist stories. Um, I've got one set of stories that are basically seven of the brainiest scientists in the world trying to, well, they will eventually, um, try to take over the world, but they exist purely as brains in jars. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's fascinating. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And they, their first attempt at seeing if they could do this was to kill their human assistant. And they did, purely oh. by being, because they, they all live in these jars, all the brains live in jars, in the university, it was an experiment set up by the main scientist of the story, who is not because they live in jars, they're not called by their names because that would be a bit freaky. So his name is XLP hashtag 304. So XLP hashtag 304 is like the mastermind, get it? Like mind, <laughs> brain, yes. jar. Um, and he is running this whole group of other scientists, and they're all brains in jars. And they're all connected. Their spinal columns are connected to computers. And of course, if you're connected to the computer in the university, you're then connected to the university's super array of computers. And you can do anything you like. And no one can stop you. Yeah, I, I suppose not. If you're connected to the uh, internet, then you are therefore connected to the world, really. Exactly. The oh, only problem goodness. is, and it does come up in episode two of the brains in the jars where their assistant that they killed his sister arrives to avenge his death because she's figured out what they did um, oh. and she all she has to do is delete their files and unplug them so they <laughs> they've got like she after she does it they've got like 10 minutes before the brains die to get connected back up again oh so, wow Oh my goodness! Yeah, I, yeah, that sounds like really fun. <laughs> I'm going to check that out. <laughs> oh wow! And that's uh, that's lethal. The short stories by Lane Dodge. So, oh my yeah. goodness! Yeah, I'm going to have to check that out. I think. Thanks. I'd <laughs> well, love to know what you think. I, well, I am a very large proponent of of uh, leaving reviews and ratings on Goodreads and Amazon for everything that I read especially when it comes to books that I find here on the show, because week after week, I might- This has been a presentation of the Project Entertainment Network. Yeah. These amazing authors that I've got. <laughs> Speaking of reading widely, that's, that's definitely happened to me since I've 
been on here. I, I haven't been able to enjoy a beloved book in uh, in two years, but uh, but, oh, wow. you know, but it's it's been great because I'm finding new books that I'm I'm yes. falling in love with. Good. And I will I will definitely let you know what I think and definitely leave a review. So <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, Elaine, this has been fascinating. This has been so much fun, and I've really enjoyed talking to you. Thanks. It has been fun. Where can people find and follow you? Um, okay, so I've got Facebook page. Yeah. I've got a couple of Facebook pages. Okay. I've also, my website is um, elainedodge.com, and I'm on Amazon and on Goodreads. Great. Yeah, and I will have links for all this in the show notes so everybody knows to just click below and uh, they will pop on over. Great. Thank so, you very much. I appreciate that. Oh, it is my pleasure. It's my pleasure. So we are hearing from book one of the Harcourts of Canada, Harcourts Mountain. Is there yes. anything we should know ahead of time about today's reading? Um, well, the first chapter is, I was going to say a little steamy, but it's not really a little steamy, mm. but just in case. <laughs> All right. Just in case. Um, okay. <laughs> I like it. Just enough. Just enough of a tease. So. All right. Well, <laughs> <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, it's time for me to step aside and listen to this steamy chapter from Elaine Dodge and Harcourt's Mountain. 1867, Silver Birch Landing, British Columbia, Canada. He watched her sachet across the saloon of the Silver Forest Hotel. Seduction written clearly on her face and in every curve of her body. Harcourt had to admit she was enticing. Big violet eyes, black hair twisted up in inviting curls, the knowing smile on her red lips, not to mention the tight, low-cut dress, leaving little to the imagination. It all promised untold carnal delight. Her perfume a dark, satiny aroma eddied around him as she swayed to a stop in front of him, her hand on her tiny waist. He smiled. Miss Butler? Mr. Harcourt, I was watching you. You play well. His smile deepened. He'd been very aware of her gaze during the game. As he left the poker table with the evening's takings, most of which had come out of Stephen Butler's pocket, he'd seen the calculating look on the man's face. A few minutes later, in the mirror above the bar, he'd watched Butler give the girl instructions. What kind of father would send his daughter to seduce a man? Here she was, but apparently it didn't worry her in the least. In fact, she looked as if she were enjoying herself. This could be interesting. Would you like something to drink, he offered. Some champagne would be nice. He raised an eloquent eyebrow. We have to celebrate your winnings, she said, using her little girl voice. Did she always talk like that, or only when she was trying to entice a man? Of course, he nodded at the barman. While the waiter was opening the bottle, a very expensive bottle, he noted, Harcourt looked Ida Mae Butler over, slowly. The fact that she wasn't insulted by it stirred his amused contempt. He handed her the glass. Her fingers drifted over his as she took it. He was disappointed. She wasn't even original in her tactics. Mind you, she couldn't be more than 17 under all that gloss. Taking the bottle and his glass, he followed her to the deep velvet sofa that stood in the alcove to the left of the bar. 
the one behind the potted plants and the artfully draped curtain. She put her heart into the performance and Hartcore played along to see just how far she would go and exactly what she wanted. She coquetted outrageously for the length of time it took them to finish the bottle. When a waiter came to see if they wanted another, to Miss Butler's obvious disappointment, Harcourt shook his head. As the waiter left, she stretched out her hand towards the cord that held the curtain in place. Harcourt was quicker. He captured her hand, saying, leave it. It might set tongues wagging. She shot him a look, as if trying to read his face. Harcourt smiled lifted her hand to his lips and kissed it. We wouldn't want that, he said. She fluttered her eyelashes. Mr. Luke Harcourt, you don't mind if I call you Luke. Harcourt wondered if she seriously believed that half a bottle of champagne had made him more pliable. Not at all, Miss Butler. You're a very good poker player, Luke. How much did you win tonight? She moved closer, her knee touching his. Just over $500, I believe. You don't know for sure? She laid her hand on his thigh. He shrugged. Counting the money while you play is a distraction. How wonderful to be able to play and not worry about how much you might be losing. That's awfully brave. You must be rich. Harcourt gave a short laugh. Not rich enough for you, Miss Butler. You could be very rich. My father says your mountain is a gold mine. Ah, of course. Does he indeed? Oh, yes. Her fingers danced lightly on the muscle of his leg. He says a man could be wealthy overnight with all that lumber and salmon, not to mention the possibility of gold. Imagine how exciting it would be to discover gold. Her hand tightened. Imagine. You must be awfully lonely living up there on your own. She gazed into his eyes, her hand drifting up his thigh. I'd be terrified. It's so far away. No one there to keep you company. What if something bad happens? Indians or bears? She took his hand, pressing his palm on her chest. Here, you can feel my heart trying to leap out of my body, even thinking about it. He let it lie on her white skin for a moment. It had been a long time since he'd been with a woman. He felt a momentary flicker of disquiet. But looking into her eyes, he caught a glimpse of her empty, amoral little soul and knew he had no cause for concern. He moved his hand around till it cut the soft weight of her breast. She breathed in. If you sold your mountain to my father, she murmured, you would be very rich. You could move to town. We could get to know each other better. Her hand crept up his thigh. I'd like to get to know you, Luke. Very well. He ran his thumb gently over her skin and bent towards her. She closed her eyes. Her red lips parted, softening in anticipation. Her breath came quickly. He gave a soft laugh. He could feel her skin begin to warm under his fingers, her desires spreading through her like smoky whiskey, melting her in his hands. She seemed to have totally forgotten who was meant to be seducing whom. Luke, she purred. Miss Butler, will you do something for me? His voice was so latent with want, she almost moaned in response. She could feel his breath on her face. She tilted her head back, shivering as his lips moved very gently on her neck, the tip of his tongue touching her. Anything. Anything? His voice was deep, intoxicating. She pressed herself into his hand. Yes. Good. His voice was normal, hard even. He released her and sat back 
Tell your father my land is not for sale. She blinked. What? You heard me. Neither my land nor my person, for that matter, is for sale. He rose and put on his jacket. But why? I mean, I, I, mean, I don't know what... She stared up at him. The shock of his rejection was swiftly replaced by outrage. She leapt to her feet. Oh, how, how dare you? You were... If you do want to get to know me better, Miss Butler, you can start with this. I'm not interested in little girls. Steamy indeed. <laughs> hey, that was Elaine Dodge reading a sample chapter from her book, Harcourt's Mountain. It was very exciting and it's, uh, it's a lovely book. I cannot wait to dive into myself. Make sure you click the link in the show notes for more about Elaine and all of her books. And if you do check out the book, make sure you leave her a review uh, just like I'm going to do. Don't forget to also click that link in the show notes for our podcast friends and sponsors alike. And hit that subscribe button so that you don't miss out next time when we come back with a brand new author, a new book, and an all-new sample chapter. Take care, everybody. We'll see you again real soon. This has been a presentation of the Project Entertainment Network.